Yeah, um, anyway, how many of y'all know that God is weird? Yes, he's weird. And his ways are past finding out. You know, that's the way the Bible says that God's weird. His ways are past finding out. That means it's weird to us. And this morning I want to share with you an Old Testament account of just how weird or how much God's ways are past finding out in terms of his getting his message across to his people and even people who who ain't his people. Okay? Um, How many of y'all ever heard of Jonah? Yeah, Jonah. Fish of Jonah and the whale. We learned that in Sunday school, don't we? Listen, it appears to be such a simple story on the surface, but I'm going to tell you it is about as complicated and as radical a story of, of, of God's way of getting his message across that you'll ever possibly run across. And I want to share some things with you about Jonah this morning. Maybe you thought about, maybe you haven't, but there is an application for this. Question number one, and it's okay, it, it, it's okay if you get this one wrong, okay, because um, now I've been, I've been in ministry now for over 20 years, and chances are if you had asked me this question, even after I was ordained and been preaching for a while, I'd have got the answer wrong. How many of y'all, of course that's a setup, now you don't know, what you, now you don't know which way to go. Okay, here's the thing. Um, we have the book of Jonah. It's just a few short chapters. You can read it probably in less than 20 minutes. Okay? And it sort of starts at one place, and then it ends at one place. It starts abruptly, and it ends abruptly. And we don't know a whole lot about what happened to Jonah after it ended, and we don't know a whole lot about Jonah before it began. But how many of y'all would, would say that, how many of you would be inclined to say that Jonah's experience as a prophet, uh, the book of Jonah records his first rodeo? Yeah, you know, that, 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 I'm going to tell you, that would be, had a 100% track record. And so I would be inclined to say, or I would have been inclined to say that the book of Jonah is the record of his first prophetic rodeo. However, that's not true. See, it's starting off weird. This is probably something your Sunday school teacher didn't tell you. But this was not Jonah's first rodeo. Turn to 2 Kings 14. I'll show you something. And y'all, I'm telling you, it, it starts off weird. This whole thing is just weird. As you'll see, it gets weird about a minute. All right, let's pick up reading 2 Kings 14 in verse 23. I'll give you time to get there. 2 Kings 14, 23. There we go. Here it is on the wall. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. Okay, so now we're told that the king of Israel is Jeroboam, and he's the king of Israel, and he reigned 41 years in Israel. Next verse. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, 
who made Israel to sin. Remember, Jeroboam was one of the most wicked kings that ever sat on the throne. And so this is Jer- uh, um, sins of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. Okay, go ahead. Pardon, not, okay. And he restored the coast of Israel from the entering in of Hamath, which is, for, for informational purposes, Hamath is just north of what today would be called uh, Haifa, Israel. From the entering in of Hamath, Unto the Sea of the Plain. The Sea of the Plain is the Sea of Galilee. So he restored the coast of Israel. In other words, he took back some land from Syria. Okay, from Syria that Syria had taken. He took back the land from Hamath all the way to the Sea of Galilee according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet which was of Gath. Heifer. And I think that's probably all we need to know right there. So Jonah was a prophet in Israel along the coast of northern Israel, which the lands a little further to the north had been taken by the king of Syria prior to the reign of this wicked king. And so Jonah the prophet prophesies in Israel that this wicked king who sits on the throne was going to take back and restore to Israel traditional lands that Israel had held. So in effect, this good man of God, okay, this prophet of the Lord, prophesied a good thing to an evil king and an evil nation. And he was probably a spiritual hero in someone's eyes because they said, Yay, Jonah prophesied the word of the Lord and we got our land restored, which could be those who would yahoo and and yippee about Jonah's word could have been some evil people who tried to justify their acts as being God-approved. Now, that's a little weird to me because God here is blessing Israel, who at that time was, was under the divided kingdom. They were wicked and evil, and God did a good thing for them. And he sends this prophet along, says this is what's going to happen, and it happened. Isn't that interesting? It is to me. Then, now, then let's go to the book of Jonah. Y'all remember all that. It's going to get fun in just a minute. Then Jonah, Jonah comes along. After Jonah, in historical sequence, had got, a, had got the word right. You know, I don't know whether he liked giving that word or not. It could have made him friends and it could have made him enemies, but one thing's for sure, he did what God told him. It worked out right and he had to be content with that, whether he could figure it out or not and whether anybody else could. So at the beginning of the book of Jonah, he's 100% that we know of. And so he's minding his, now let's, 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 let's just walk this thing along. Now he's minding his own business 
in northern Israel. And the word says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Now you can't confuse this and think it's another Jonah, because it's not. Because that Jonah and this Jonah's got the same daddy. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. I mean, he was headed as south as south could go. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. First thing maybe is this, is you can't get away from the presence of the Lord because he's everywhere. That used to scare me as a little boy. I've told this story before, but sitting in Cedar Creek Church back in the country when I was a little 8 and 10 year old boy, I was not the most spiritual thing in the world. I was like an 8 and 10 year old boy. And the preacher would talk about the, the omniscience of God, which means he's everywhere present all the time, and, the, the, um, and how he knew everything and saw everything. And that would scare me to death because I was seeing and doing things that a little boy would do, and I didn't want them found out but the preacher told me God knew him anyway and that scared me but we can't go we 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 really can't flee from the presence of the Lord because he's everywhere all the time now we can we can go away from from being intimate with him okay we can go away from experiencing the the wonderful presence of the Lord but we can't get away from God you know can't get away from him I remember we was taking a company trip one time back years ago when I worked for the fertilizer company to uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. <clears throat> we were going to be down there for a week. And so everybody, in, all the store managers in our district was going. And so we were talking about it. But, but we discovered there was this one guy that didn't want to go. And uh, I asked him, I said, hey, man, I said, why don't you want to go to New Orleans? I mean, it's a week off of work. All expenses paid. We could go down there. We're going to have a hotel paid for, meals paid for. Golf is going to play for. We can play golf for a week. We're going to ride up and down the Mississippi River on a steamboat. Man, it's going to be good. Why don't you want to go? He said, how y'all going to get there? I said, we're going to take an airplane. He said, I ain't going. I said, why don't you want to go on an airplane? He said, because I ain't going to fly. I said, why don't you want to fly? He said, I don't know about you, but I ain't been living that good lately. And I said, what? And he said, I don't know how you've been living either. So he was afraid. Okay, anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there for what it's worth. But the point here is this, is that you can't get away from the presence of the Lord. Now, we're going to skip way ahead to the book of Jonah. Look at the end of the book of Jonah, chapter 4. Now, now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. And cry against it because your wickedness, and tell them that your wickedness has risen up before me. I've seen the evil that you've done. Now that's just kind of the gist of the message. That's not the full-blown message. That's just the gist of it. And Jonah didn't want to go. Why didn't he want to go? I'm going to ask you the question. Why didn't Jonah want to go? That's right. Assyria, which is Nineveh, uh, in the Bible, anywhere you see Assyria, you can, you can just substitute the word Nineveh because that was, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And they were Israel's mortal enemies. And God said he was going to send repentance to Israel. He, the whole purpose of Jonah going there was to cause them to turn from their wicked ways. 
Jonah didn't want to do that because he hated the people. But there's something else going on here. Watch this. In, in, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repented thee of the evil. In other words, even when he was still back over yonder, he was having a discussion with the Lord about why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Okay? So he didn't just on a whim jump on a boat and go to Joppa. There was this conversation that had happened. There was this dialogue between Jonah and the Lord. Maybe it was just one-sided. Jonah just said, didn't I tell you before I left this is what was going to happen? Because see, in chapter 4, he was sitting out on a hillside and he was, he was watching Nineveh and Nineveh wasn't destroyed. The Lord didn't come and destroy it and it made him mad because they had turned from their evil ways and he said, God, I told you this was going to happen. Now of all the things, now, now, now Jonah's life is an open book and we're not throwing stones at him here, I'm just trying to learn something. What Jonah, Jonah was guilty of something in the, in the mix of all this and in the background. And what he was guilty of, he was guilty of prophetic manipulation. He knew that the word he prophesied to Israel about their lands being restored come true, he knew that the word of the Lord would be true. And so in his mind, here's what he could be thinking in terms of prophetic manipulation. He could be thinking, you know, if God wants me to take this word over there and they're going to turn from their wicked ways and be spared, then that leaves the armies of Assyria and the nation of Assyria free to come back and attack us again. So therefore, if I don't go and deliver this word, then the Lord has already made his mind up to destroy them they're going to be destroyed. And so by me not going to give this word, therefore, I'm a friend of Israel and I'm going to spare my nation ever again having to suffer at the hands of the Assyrians. You ever thought about that? See, Jonah understood the power of the word of the Lord. Maybe more so than most folks we have ever encountered in our lifetime. And so one of the lessons I learned from Jonah's life is that we dare not meddle prophetically and try to have prophetic manipulation with the words that the Lord speaks. If He gives you a word, you need to speak it. And if you receive a genuine word, you need to embrace it. Because the word of the Lord is always yes and amen. It's always true. It's never a lie. And part of our journey of faith involves being able to discern between what is genuine prophetically and what is false prophetically. Now Jonah... And the prophets in the Old Testament, they were kind of one-shot prophets. If you read the, uh, the minor prophets and the major prophets, it would say, And the word of the Lord came unto so-and-so, and this was the word, and they spoke it, and it came true. 
The Old Testament prophets were one shot in the sense that when God raised up a prophet to speak something, he didn't send a second one along to confirm it. It just happened. Okay? Therefore, the word of the Lord is true. Now, in our day and in our time, and most of the words that we're familiar with in terms of prophetic uh, words is the way, one of the ways, well, there's a couple ways we do this. Number one, it's by the witness of the Spirit that lives in you. You just know if it's right or if it's wrong. But in our day, what God will do is He will send along another one. And they'll prophesy the same thing. They'll even use the same words. They'll even use the same time frame. And so you'll get two coming along saying the same thing. And then, you know what he'll do? He'll send along a third one. And they'll use the same words and the same time frame or the same circumstance. And you're thinking, wow, God must be serious about this thing. And so that's kind of how, those are sort of the, and then the third thing is you know it's genuine if it comes true. Okay, so there are your three ways. But back yonder, it was a one-shot process. And Jonah knew that if he didn't go to Nineveh, then God would exact judgment on Nineveh. Nineveh would be destroyed, all of Assyria would be gone, and therefore they would live happily ever after. And you know what? God had no part of it. It's a cool thing about Jonah, and I don't know how much of this I need to read or just how much I need to tell you, but listen, God spoke to Jonah, and Jonah heard him. Jonah went south. He got on this boat. There came a great storm. He was asleep in the belly of the boat. The captain came down and said, Why are you sleeping? You need to get up and call on your God. We need to figure out what's wrong here. Jonah said, I'm the problem. I'm a Hebrew. And then he told them the story. He said, throw me over the boat. And the captain and the crew would have nothing to do with that. See, these were pagan people. And so they just threw stuff out of the ship to make it lighter. They didn't want, they didn't want to throw Jonah overboard. Now, there's some comedy in here. I'm I just, or just way I, weird way I look at things. Let's look at the comedic element of what's going on here. Now, when it got to the place where the captain and the crew saw that this storm was going to take them out, and they knew that Jonah was the culprit, here's what they said. <laughs> Verse 14, chapter 1. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech you, O Lord, we beseech you, let, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. Now you know what they're really saying there, if you read it carefully? What they're really saying there is, whether we are right, God, or whether we are wrong, don't hold us accountable. Whether we are right, or whether we are wrong, don't hold us accountable. See, they didn't, they didn't have a clue. They didn't know. The only way they would know if what Jonah said was true is if they chunked him overboard. And they just didn't know. But they chunked him overboard and what happened? The sea got calm. The storm stopped in a supernatural way. And then underneath the boat there had been this whale following behind them. Isn't this cool? Listen, 
in all of the Mediterranean Sea. Some places this thing was called a whale, and some places it was called a great fish. Jesus called it a whale, and the Old Testament writer called it a great fish. And in the denomination that I grew up in, it was a debate over whether it was a whale or whether it was a big fish. I told people Jesus said it was a whale. A whale is a fish. Therefore, it was a whale. And it was a fish. So why argue about it? But I'm telling you, arguments would ensue over whether it was a great fish or whether it was a whale. Well, Jesus said it was a whale. Guess what? That's good enough for me. And a whale is a big fish. But anyway, this whale was following this little boat. When Jonah went overboard, the whale gobbled him up. Sea got calm. Captain and the crew knew it was the Lord and they were happy and went their way. And they offered a sacrifice. I'm telling you what, it, made, it, it, it changed their religion, at least for a little while. Okay? At least for a little while, it changed their religion. Now here's where it gets weirder. Okay? Now just, just bear with me just a minute. This whale swallows up Jonah. Other than probably a killer whale, whales don't chew their food. They open up their big mouths and they swallow in whatever comes in. Little shrimp, algae, plankton, little fish, squid, uh, small octopuses, maybe sea turtles, barracudas, tuna, whatever happens to be in the general area, seaweed. You know, whatever happens to be around them when they open up their mouth, it goes whoop straight into their mouth, whoop right down their throat, and whoop right into their belly. Now, contained in our stomachs is what's referred to as gastric acid. Okay, gastric acid. Now, we as humans, we're carnivores. We chew our food, we swallow, we eat vegetables, and we eat meat. And it goes down in chunks and hunks and pieces. I'm going to get graphic with you, okay? Chunks and hunks and pieces. It goes into your stomach, and after it goes in chunks and hunks and pieces, the gastric acid actually decomposes, breaks down all of the food that you consume, and into a digestible form which is able to pass through your intestinal walls and, and get into your bloodstream and cause you to be nourished. Uh, I actually knew a woman. We, went, we were invited way back yonder when we were on uh, Walnut Street. We were invited to go to Pembroke and, uh, and preach three nights over at a little church there for a friend of mine. And after we left... Uh, due to the relationships we made there, I found out that one of the ladies in the church had gotten sick, and somehow or another she came up with some, some, some gastric acid, either when, through her sickness uh, she expelled some gastric acid and it ate a hole in her esophagus. Did you know that the gastric acid in your stomachs can eat a hole in your flesh? It is, that's why they call it acid. And when you get a little taste of acid reflux, it burns a little, doesn't it? Well, some of that acid has escaped and came up into your esophagus. And if it keeps coming up, it'll eat a hole in your esophagus. That's why the doctor will provide Prevacid for you. Or Pepsid or something of that nature to keep your acid levels down. Well, guess what? Whales have 
many, many, many times stronger gastric acid than we have as humans. In other words, the percentage, the strength of the acid, it's just kicked up several notches. Because the whales don't chew up their food, they swallow it whole, and so therefore the acid has to be strong enough to absolutely dissolve everything whole in the belly of that whale. Now listen, think about this. Jonah was in the whale's belly three days and three nights. In gastric acid. May I ask you something? What, when, when, when Jonah cried, he began to, after he'd been in there three days and three nights, he got the message that he was going to die unless something happened. And so he began to pray unto the Lord. And as he began to pray, he got down there to the end and he said these words, Salvation is of the Lord. And when he said, Salvation is of the Lord, uh, boom, God spoke to the whale. Now, God had spoke to Jonah when he was in Israel. Now he's talking to this whale. And this whale understands. God tells the whale to throw up, to vomit. And the whale throws up Jonah on dry land. The whale beached itself threw up Jonah, and then I suppose went back into the sea. Now how often does a beached whale get back into the deep water? You know, I'm just thinking here, but I'm thinking what I'm thinking is reasonable and logical. I mean, he, the, the, the word says the whale threw him up on land. Interesting, ain't it? Now let me ask you a question. Jonah had been in this acidic environment for three days and three months. What did he look like? Jonah's skin and his hair and his eyebrows. And he was, he was of Jewish descent. He was probably dark skinned. His skin had changed colors from being brown or black to white looking. Have you ever seen anybody who's been in a fire? Lost their hair, lost their eyebrows, you know, lost you know, whatever. But when you lose your skin, when you lose that outside skin layer, underneath it is white. Jonah came out of that whale's belly looking like a ghost. He came out of that whale's belly looking like something you'd never seen before. He probably looked like something that come out of a horror movie and he was not even recognizable. Now is that reasonable or is that not reasonable? That is reasonable. Physiologically, it is reasonable. If he had stayed in that whale's belly any longer, that acid would have eaten through the final layer of his skin and got into his meat tissue and it would have all been over. But I have to believe that even in that environment, the hand of the Lord was on him protecting the, the vital... Um, let me say this right now. Protecting everything vital on his body that would cause him, if it was gone, to be dead. So what God did is he just peeled some layers off. Okay? He still had his eyesight. He still had his lips. He could speak. 
still had his tongue, probably still had his eyelids. And so what we see when, when this fish throws Jonah up is it's a miracle. He's even alive. But here he is. Chained. He doesn't look the same. He's got the same name, but he doesn't look the same. He is a spectacle. I mean, he is something people would turn their heads and they would look twice at, saying, what in the world or who in the world is this? Probably Jonah, even in his family, if they saw him as far away as from here to Jay or Kim or even Janie, wouldn't recognize him. They would have to go up and say, who are you and where did you come from? You see, God turned Jonah into a spectacle because Jonah rebelled and he was trying to manipulate prophetically what God was going to do and God would have none of it. Now see, that's how high, that's how strong God lifts up the prophetic word. That's how strong He lifts up His word. That's how strong He lifts up His program. God will not be denied His program. By you, by me, by Jonah, by anybody. He is going to have his way in the armies and the inhabitants of the earth and nobody can stay his hand. And he threw Jonah up on dry land out of this whale and Jonah got his his compass all of a sudden headed right and straight to Nineveh he goes. He's a man on a mission now. Let's look and see what happened. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, chapter 3. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And, and, and most scholars take that to mean that Nineveh was so large, it was so expansive, the region of Nineveh, that it took three days on foot to cross it. Now just to give you an idea... A day's journey on foot was understood to be 14 miles in the Old Testament. When it says, well, travel a day's journey, that's 12 to 14 miles. A half day's journey, a Sabbath journey is seven. So if it was three days' journey across Nineveh, that means it was 12 to 14 times three. 12 to 14 miles times three. Minimum of 36 miles, maximum somewhere, say, around no, no. Huh? 47. You know, how, you know how big that is? That's probably a little bit bigger than the metropolitan area of Atlanta, Georgia. Now, granted, it was not wall-to-wall houses and wall-to-wall buildings. It was, it was a geographical area that was considered Nineveh. But still, from one side of this place to the other... It was a little less than 50 miles. So anyway, let's keep going. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <laughs> now I find it interesting. So the people of Nineveh believed, Nineveh believed God and proclaimed to fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word of the Lord came into the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered with sackcloths and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king, and by his noble saying, Let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil ways, and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? 
and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. And God saw their works and they turned from them their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that it would be done unto them and he did it not. Okay, what happened? Jonah went, delivered the word of the Lord. Nineveh repented just like God said they would, like he wanted them to do, and he spared the city. <laughs> what made, okay, now I realize that, that you, you probably hadn't read what I've read prior to coming to church today, but let's, let's go a little bit further. We're going to back up and come again. What is it that caused the king of Nineveh and all of Nineveh to repent? Of course, it was the word of the Lord. But what else was it? Was there any other, can you think of any other factor that may have came into play? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You beat our God. To see it, there's, there's part of ancient pagan worship involved in this because God uses symbols and symbols are important. The other thing is this, if you go back to 2 Kings 14 and 15, you will see where the Assyrians laid siege and they were going to invade Israel. Sennacherib, king of the Assyrians, came against Israel and was going to wipe them off the face of the planet. And they were pretty much defenseless. They, they were incapable of defending themselves against the advance of the, the, of the Assyrians. And so what God does is God sovereignly does a thing and He drives Sennacherib and the Assyrians all the way back to Nineveh. And who was the prophet that had prophesied that the wicked king of Israel was going to restore again the lands from Hamath unto the Sea of Galilee to Israel? It was Jonah. Now when Jonah gets to Nineveh and he's this weird looking creature that came out of a fish's belly with no hair, no skin, white, this something that looked, looked like a zombie that come out of a horror movie. Jonah comes walking into town. Nobody knows who it is. He begins to proclaim the word of the Lord. People begin to inquire, who is this man? What's he saying? Should we kill him, dispose of him? What is it? He's so weird looking. And, the, and somebody finds out his name's Jonah and tells the king. And the king says, Jonah, Jonah is the one that prophesied unto Israel that they would restore again the land from Hamath to the Sea of Galilee. And this same Jonah bearing the word of the Lord coming to us. We'd better repent if he says repent. How about that? Do you see the length at which God will go to? He prepared and gave Jonah the prophetic reputation in Israel. And then he yanked him out of Israel after God had used Jonah as an instrument to bring forth his word. He yanks him out of, out of uh, Israel and in a roundabout, convoluted kind of way, gets him to Nineveh where they know who Jonah is. And he makes, he makes Jonah look like a creature of inquiry. And they're thinking, my, my goodness, if God would do this to his prophet just because he didn't obey their word, what more will he do to us because we don't even know who he is and we're evil and we're wicked, how much more will he do to us? What will he spare? That's why there was this quickening. That's why there was this rapid response to the word of the Lord. This is why 
They proclaimed a fast and they went in sackcloth and ashes and they cut the food off of the animals and the water away from the animals, the flocks and the herds. And they turned from their wicked ways. And God spared the city. Wow. Isn't that something? Listen, Jonah is one of the weirdest stories in the whole Bible of how God got His Word to people who needed it and to people He was going to show grace to. The story of Jonah is about a God of grace, love, and mercy, even if you don't understand it when it concerns Nineveh. God is a story of grace, love, and mercy to Israel, even when they're evil, and they're no better than Assyria even when you don't understand it. Ours is a story of how God is full of grace and mercy and love to us, even when we don't deserve it, and even when we don't understand it. See, Jonah is more than a story just about Some crazy little prophet going to this nation and proclaiming the word and, and miracles happen. It's a story about, it's the, it's the unending, eternal story about how God loves people and He will stop at nothing to deliver salvation to them. It's a prophetic story about how God sent a little Jewish boy into a nation that would later become Muslim and prophesy salvation to these people who would be Muslim. See, Nineveh was founded by a man named Asher. Asher was the third generation from a man named Ham whose father was Noah. So Asher was, a, was the fourth generation from Noah and he founded Nineveh. His daddy Nimrod founded the Tower of Babel and what we today refer to as Babylon. Okay? Asher learned from his daddy and he proceeded east from Babylon to a place where he found it as Nineveh. And he built Nineveh. It's from the sons, he was, he's, he's the, the great-grandson of Noah. Pardon? They were all cousins. See? See, everybody's related. See, God loved them too. And today God loves the Muslims and we need to be praying for the Muslims. And I, I hope that's not too big of a jump for you. But what we're seeing here is a prophetic picture that I can look out and I can see today. We're not Jewish. We never have been, never will be. We're Gentiles. We were grafted in. And I believe God chose us from the foundation of the earth to be in Christ. But Israel was His chosen people of a special degree. And so what I see today is, you know, I don't, there may be Jews who go to Muslim nations in an orthodox way. 
But I'm telling you, there are Gentiles today who are going to Muslim nations and Muslim people and preaching the gospel and they're getting saved. And they're turning from their wickedness. That's happening. And we don't, we don't often see that, but it's happening. And so we need to be engaged in prayer and realize we need to be stimulated from this story concerning Jonah and all the weird stuff that happened. We need to be stimulated to pray for the Muslim people. I'm, I'll, just, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe one of the keys to thriving in the kingdom of God is going to be intercession for Muslims. that They come to salvation, conversion, and come to Jesus. I believe that's going to be one of the keys. And I hope, I hope that maybe today, maybe this message will stimulate you to pray for Muslim people. We need to pray for all people. But I'm telling you, the scourge that's directed at the earth today is coming from Nineveh. It's coming from the land, this general vicinity, which, by the way, God gave to Israel and they never conquered it. They never took it. Israel only has occupied, at the zenith of their influence in the Mediterranean, they have only occupied 10% of the 100% that God gave them in terms of territory. If they had just kept going when they got into the promised land, and did what God told them to do, they would have taken care of all that problem. But they left it, and it festered into what it festered into and what we have today. That's why it's important to obey the word of the Lord. And so Jonah, at the end of the book of Jonah, chapter (laughs) 4, we see a man... He prayed to the Lord, and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was in my country? Therefore fled I unto Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and and repented thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, I beseech you, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. (laughs) Jonah actually said this twice in the book. He was a man who'd rather die than see God's love and compassion manifest. He'd rather be dead than see God's salvation to his enemies manifest. I'm not being ugly toward Jonah. I mean, it's just it's in the book and it's written. And that's what it is. I'd re- God, please kill me now. I can't stand this. Then said the Lord to him, Do you well to be angry? Or is it, is it good for you to be angry? So Jonah went out on the city and he sat on the east side of the city and there he made him a booth and he sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad for the gourd but God prepared a worm When the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd and it withered and it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind. (laughs) Oh my. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, Is it better for me to die than to live? (laughs) Why was he so happy for the gourd? Why did he need shade? 
That's right. And what was his condition that would require to be shaded from the infrared rays of the sun? He had no skin. He'd be crispy fried. He'd be red as that shirt. And then his skin would crack. It would burst open and bleed. Listen, this man was hurting and whenever the gourd died and the wind came out and blew the leaves away and the sun shone through that pitiful little booth he made, leaned to, it hurt his head. He was hurting. <laughs> and he's sitting there on that hillside. Listen, he's sitting there on that hillside. He's looking at this city that hadn't been touched by anything. They were still carrying on life. They turned from their evil ways. Stuff continued. And he, the prophet of the Lord who delivered the word of the Lord, was sitting on the hill with a blistered head, hurting so bad he wanted to die. And he's looking, he said, <laughs> it's like, what now? Or what next? Do you see? Is God weird or what? Listen, I'm telling y'all this to, to, to the best of my knowledge. This is just, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of putting reason and logic to this situation. And that's kind of what I'm seeing. Oh, me. Verse 9, and God said to Jonah, do you well to be angry for the gourd? You, he, you were mad yesterday. And now you're mad today. And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. He said, I'm going to be mad the second I die. <laughs> oh, my Lord, have mercy. I'm going to be mad even if it kills me. That's kind of what he's saying. That's why it doesn't do good to be mad. Then said the Lord, you know, you had pity on the gourd for what you didn't labor for. In other words, you didn't make it grow. You didn't plant it. You didn't make it grow. You didn't make it come up in a night, and it perished in a night. And you're angry for the gourd. And you're also mad. And see, here was the real reason. And you're also mad with me because of that great city Nineveh where there are more than six score thousand persons. That's uh, 120,000 people that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. That scholars generally say that's children. That you know they they don't know which way right or left is. There's 120,000 children. You're mad because I spared 120,000 children and also much cattle. And so Jonah kind of ends at a place where it ends with a question. Everything up in the air. And we could, we could kind of, we could sit here and we could take our pencil and paper and we could make a long list of what, the, how the book of Jonah ends and what it means. But the thing is this. We can't get mad at the Lord when he does exactly what he says he's going to do. You know, I think, I think that, I, I, to me at least, that where I'm at viewing this passage, viewing this chapter of Scripture, to me today as I stand here, to me that's, that's the thing, you know. Um, do we have the right, what's, what's the motivation behind us when God does exactly what God says He's going to do? You know, why, why would we be angry? And see, Jonah, the book of Jonah is all about the motivation of the heart. 
And when God does what God's going to do, it reveals our character. It reveals our nature. It reveals, the, it reveals our heart and our mind. It, it, it reveals what makes us do and think and act the way we do think and act. So how do we respond when God does exactly what He says He's going to do? And how do we respond to it when it, it ain't what we want to happen? You know? I want to encourage you something. Don't become angry with the Lord because He does exactly what He says He's going to do. And try to deal with the issue of you not liking what He does. See, that's, that's the two things here. And I'm gonna be, I'll be frank with you. A lot of my life I've spent being, being Jonah-like concerning my attitude toward the Lord when he did just what he wanted to do and I didn't like the outcome. I wonder if Jonah ever moved on from this. I wonder if God performed a miracle and restored the pigment in his skin. I wonder if God ever did a supernatural thing and put skin back on him. Put hair back on him. Or I wonder if Jonah looked at himself every day and he saw the residual effect of what God did to him when he rebelled. And I wonder how that motivated him. What do we do when we look at ourselves and we see that we have, that God has dealt with us in a way commensurate with how we've acted and we get mad with Him? I wonder, how do we, how do we deal with that? How do you deal with it? How do I deal with it? Well, the thing, here, here, here's the way I think we should deal with it, okay? We should be eternally grateful that we've even known the love and the compassion of the Lord. We should be eternally grateful that we even know what salvation is and it's been given to us by the death of Jesus on the cross. We should be eternally grateful. It should change our attitude. It should change the posture of our heart. It should change everything about our lives when we are when we realize we have been the recipients of God's grace and mercy. In whatever way it comes, even when we look at a city that's almost 50 miles apart and doesn't look like they've suffered anything and they've only known the Lord 48 hours. I tell you, today is a challenge for me, and it should be a challenge for you. How do we react? What is our attitude toward the Lord? And then I wonder if, at somewhere along the way, if Jonah's attitude concerning the Ninevites changed, concerning the Assyrians, his enemies. Because, see, here's where the New Testament creeps in. You know what Jesus said? He said you need to love your enemies. The word says we need to bless them who would despitefully use us and curse us and persecute us. How do, you, how, do you, how do I and how do you deal with people 
who will despitefully use you. What does that mean? If someone despitefully uses you, what would be an illustration of that? Well, could be this. Someone could use you because of your gifting or because of what they see in you in order to get what they want from you. That could be an example of despitefully using you. Persecution, I think we have a general idea of what that might mean. But what about loving our enemies? You know, Jesus said we should love our enemies. You know what he did? He extended salvation to Judas who was sitting at his uh, side during the Last Supper. He, the man who was going to betray him, he extended to him eternal life by virtue of the sop, the bread and the wine. He extended that to Judas. Then when Judas didn't take it, he said, go and do what you're going to do quickly. See, Jesus loved Judas, the man who was going to betray him. How do we react to people that, that, that betray us? How do we act to people who it would, we view it as being unfair, grossly unfair and unwarranted? What's our attitude toward those people? You know what Jesus said? Love them anyway. Pray for them anyway. Bless them anyway. Don't curse them whatever you do. That's what Jesus says. So the book of Jonah asks us some questions that lead directly into New Testament teaching. Teaching of the cross. And it all comes down to, to matters of the heart. This weird God working in mysterious ways past our understanding to get his word across and to accomplish his purpose. And he's using us and he's teaching us all along the way. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I wouldn't want to be in Jonah's shoes for anything in the world. I would not want to endure what he has to endure, to suffer the way he suffered, or anything like that. But Lord, it's true what you say about the burden of the word of the Lord. It's a heavy thing. And I ask you, dear God, that we as your people who carry and who operate under the burden of the Lord, I pray, dear God, we would be able to distinguish your full purpose when you give us the word to deliver, if that ever happens, and for us to be content with it, Lord, and to accept the way of the Lord as being the right way, regardless of whether we understand it or not. Lord, give us discernment and wisdom to know. Help us, God. We want to be more like Jesus. Lord, we know that through life, through, through, the, through the battle of life and through the warfare of, of just being here on this planet, that we'll receive scars and stripes and all other things that would indicate we've been in a battle. But Lord, I pray that the scars and the marks that we bear in our body and in our spirit would not be that of rebellion and obstinacy and it would not come from trying to pervert and manipulate what you're trying to do. So in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you and we bless your name for Jonah 
and the message contained in it that, the, that salvation is of the Lord. Let us go forth and proclaim that salvation not only in Jessup and our communities but wherever our feet carry us. And we pray, dear God, there be a, there be a response, a positive response that people not have to fall under the hand of the wrath of God, but rather they fall into the loving arms of a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.